Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping race markets. I'm Imogen Backrow, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Jan Navruzzi and Giles Gale. Okay, lots to talk about this week because we have, well, a quiet week, I suppose, really this week, but a very busy week next week. Um, I actually can't remember the last time that we had the Fed, the Bank of England and the ECB all in one week. Um, Although I'm sure someone's going to tell me now, it probably happens every December, but there we go. (laughs) Um, So let's get cracking. Uh, Let's start with uh, let's start with the US and and the Fed, Jan. Um, What are you expecting from from next week's meeting? So from the Fed, uh, we're really looking for two things, the quarterly projections and and the press conference following the announcement. The 50 basis point hike has been very well uh, communicated, and we don't think uh, the Fed will diverge from that path. Uh, that's been priced in, and that's very, very likely what we will get. Uh, on the quarterly projection side, uh, we are mostly concerned with the, the so-called dot plot, the, uh, the Fed members' projections for where they see interest rates going uh, over the next uh, few years. And uh, last time around, the peak was at 4.6%. Uh, we think this time it gets bumped to 4.875%, so another 25 basis point increase. It's really hard to imagine a scenario where they go really much past than that. Uh, we we did envision if CPI comes much stronger than we expect, maybe another 25. But since it's the median that uh, that the market cares about, uh, seeing that go well past five one two five is uh, is very hard to imagine. Markets right at five percent, so uh, in between those two, and uh, it would be hardly a shock to get. In either direction. If anything, 4875 could be a slightly of a shock. Uh, but uh, even using the word shock is uh, not really appropriate in this case. And finally, we'll also be looking at the divergence of, uh, of the projections, the dispersion. Uh, last time around, it was 100 basis points from the lowest to the highest forecast. Uh, this time, it could even widen to, say, 150 basis points, 175, as uh, the opinions within the Fed have been, well, both vocally and uh, we're sure kind of internally. Uh, diverging in a, you know, some people are more worried about financial risks, others are more worried about uh, resurgence of inflation after it comes down for a little bit. So uh, that's one of the signals that we want to, you know, take into consideration, engaging whether uh, investors should uh, fight the Fed this time, I guess. And finally, Powell's press conference. Uh, our view is that post the Brookings Institute, uh, which was, which saw Last week, there was a a Brookings Institute uh, appearance by Powell, and he wasn't necessarily dovish, but he wasn't uh, kind of hawkish in either direction as well. And markets took that in a stride and and ended up buying bonds across the curve. And that was a pretty big rally. Uh, And post-CPI, financial conditions have loosened significantly. And I don't think uh, he will want to quite uh, allow that to happen going to next year as well. Uh, Our view is that uh, he will push back a little bit against that and uh, kind of not allow a lot of this tightening to be unwound quite yet because you know, the inflation is still fairly high and they acknowledge there's a lot more work to be done. And uh, it just has been one positive uh, signal that we received from uh, from last month on inflation. Yeah, let's talk about inflation then, because it's not just the Fed next week. We obviously also get the inflation data. How much is that going to matter and, and feed into the, the Fed's decision next week? And, and what are you thinking about, about that print? I think it matters. Uh, we, we have, uh, we've revised our forecast actually slightly lower than 
like our estimate a couple of weeks ago. Now we see the core number coming at 0.4, headline a 0.25, so you know, like rounded to 0.2. Uh, the headline part is because energy prices have kept falling in the U.S. Uh, mainly from uh, you know, you can gauge by gasoline prices, and so they've been in a continuous decline. Uh, and on the core side, we expect a little bit more of a drop in used car prices, which we use alternative measures to gauge, and those have been signaling a, a fairly sharp month-to-month -month drops. So last month we had, uh, I believe it was like 2.4% drop in, uh, in used car price in October. We're looking for another 1.4% drop there. So those should uh, act, uh, kind of like pull down on the core a little bit more again. Uh, on the other hand, you still have somewhat stickier components like shelter uh, adding uh, the upside pressure, even though they moderated compared to a couple of months ago. And we take the peak in those that have come in, they take longer periods of time to entirely normalize and their profile is not uh, super sharp on the way down, as well as uh, other uh, transportation services such as airfares and car insurance and smaller components, but uh, tend to be a little bit more volatile. So swings in either direction could, you know, uh, you know uh, a base point here, base point there. Before you know it, you guys have points in the monthly reason. <laughs> so let's see. Okay, so how does that leave your rates views then? I guess uh, you know, well, the next couple of weeks and, and heading into twenty twenty three as well. Yeah, you know, year ahead, our outlook has been for lower rates into next year and actually steeper curves as well. Uh, but rates have now well past our target year-end target and we do think it's been a little bit too much at this point so tactically and going to the federal reserve and into next year uh the fed meeting and into next year we are actually uh short the kind of longer end so tens and, and 30s that's because we think it's been it overshot a little too much on anticipation that the fed is entirely pulled back and you know markets are really exposed to uh, a hawkish pushback from the fed uh, and generally on an upside beat in inflation because the front end is pretty much going to get remain pinned where it is. It's unlikely to see it kind of drifting much lower uh, while the long end. So any selling really or like you know, more news related to tighter financial finish could come through longer and kind of like lift the curve up and uh, lead to higher yields in the long end. So in the near term, we are uh, a little bit bearish, uh, longer dated yields. But uh, into next year, we think the trend of kind of like lower yields and steeper curves is going to continue. Okay, that makes sense. Right, over to Europe then, because uh, it's the central bank meeting there as well. And I guess quite an important one uh, for Europe because it feels like we should get a little bit more detail on QT. Obviously, the ECB is slightly behind where uh, the Bank of England and the Fed have got to on kind of unwinding their QE purchases. But not to steal your thunder, Giles, tell me, what are we, what are we expecting from the ECB next week? I think we're really looking for three things. Um, the first, of course, is what they deliver on rates, where rightly, I think there's a pretty strong consensus that 50 basis points is what will be delivered. The risks are clearly on the upside. Perhaps there's some kind of you know, deal to be cut around you know, things like the, the timing and nature of quantitative tightening. Uh, you know, maybe they just want to have the confidence that they will enter next year with rates at a level where they're going to be sort of a random walk, 20, 25 basis points uh, from there on. But 50 basis points seems like a, 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 the, the right decision. 20% um, probability of 75. Also, I can't particularly argue with that. 
The, the next thing is that the projections will extend to 2025. So there'll be quite a bit of focus, I imagine, on where they project inflation at that point, um, the end of their projection horizon. Um, I guess your base case is that you know, with basically three years, they should be expecting to return inflation to 2%, but they may signal that there's a risk that they put the inflation a little bit higher. So I think, again, there we shouldn't be too surprised to see a, a projection that's slightly on the high side of, uh, of 2%. And finally, of course, quantitative tightening. So you know, what are the principles around that? What are the principles then that you're expecting them, them to announce on the QT front? Well, okay, so you know, I don't think that we're expecting anything you know, too detailed. Uh, you know, I think that the main elements are, you know, we're expecting, of course, partial reinvestment. Uh, we're not expecting them to, to be talking about uh, bond sales. They may make that explicit. Um, I think that there will be a restatement. We've heard it before, but there'll be a restatement that rates are and will continue to be the main policy tool. And so you know, there's this idea that quantitative tightening needs to be something which just happens in the background and continues even if the rate cycle actually, for whatever reason, needs to, needs to turn. Uh, so I think that, they, that there will be language around that. There will be some discussion of potentially, I suppose, which, which programs uh, are affected in the APP. I assume all of them, and I assume that there'll be flexibility around that. So you know, that will be something they'll want to, to mention. I, I think that like their reinvestment program, which of course is smoothed over the years, so they don't uh, just automatically reinvest the amount which it redeems in any given month. I think that they will make clear that will be the broad manner that they will uh, continue to approach managing the balance sheet. So it'll be smoothed. It won't be um, it, it, it won't be lumpy and driven by um, by uh, the redemption profile. And finally, I think that there's a question of you know, some kind of precondition around volatility. So you know, I don't think that they want people to be expecting them to be forging ahead with quantitative tightening, regardless of market conditions. Uh, how does that fit with market expectations, do you think, of, of what the market's looking for from QT? So what I didn't say is that I think that the way that this pans out is we get 50 basis points this month, this week, and then what am I talking about next week, and then 25 basis points in February, and then they make the announcement about QT to start in uh, in April, they make that announcement in, in March. And whilst I think that that is probably where the consensus is, when whenever we hear different, it's always, why don't they start earlier? Um, so I think that there, are, there is some expectation that actually we may be surprised um, this next week by an announcement that actually it's got to start sooner. So you know, it needs to start in uh, in, in January, definitely don't think that's likely, um, but that is something that we
Okay. Just to round off the ECB discussion then, kind of a bit away from, from next week's meeting, on Friday, um, we will get the uh, number for how much TLCRO has been voluntarily repaid in December. Um, obviously, some listeners or, or probably everyone will be listening to this after we've had that number. Um, so I'm not asking you to kind of bet your house on, on what that number is going to be. But, but how important is that really going to be, do you think? And I guess particularly when we're thinking about uh, the kind of collateral scarcity theme at, at the front end in Europe. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer that in just a second, but I've just remembered something else I wanted to say about the, uh, the QT and... okay. Because I think it's an important point. Um, I, I don't think that the ECB wants there to be an announcement effect when it comes to quantitative okay. training. And that's very different to, to the way that they approached quantitative easing. So that's why yeah. I think you principles and then you get an announcement further down the line when all they're doing is basically fulfilling what we all expected. Okay, so on TLTRO repayment, okay, well, you know, listeners, go and check your Bloomberg screens. I'm calling for 600 billion repayment. <laughs> um, so taken together with the 300 that we've already had, that would be 900 repaid uh, before the end of the year. Um, now we got to that number by you know, taking a look pretty carefully uh, you know, where the liquidity drains and trying to think about the incentives that individual banks and uh, institutions face. Um, how confident am I? Not very. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but we will see. I think the one thing that I would say about that though is that um, it, it seems possible, maybe likely, that the best quality collateral has already been released because in, in that first round of 300 billion repayments, because um, you know, if you're recalling collateral what you, you know, as a bank, what are you going to recall? Well, clearly the liquid valuable stuff before recalling yeah. your, your illiquid loans and all that kind of thing. So there may not be a commensurate improvement in so this collateral scarcity, uh, which, which we have seen, and it's already been re actually reasonably impressive what we've had so far. So um, I I'll just caution there. But we are in the, in the process, those of you who actually read our research, we're in the process of preparing a preview of all of this. And we will also be discussing things like um, the possible impact on benchmark Esther, uh, Uribor, and so on and so on, looking at the lift further ahead. Mm, nice teaser, I love it. <laughs> okay, shall we talk about the Bank of England then, um, given that that's also coming up next week? <laughs> I, well, okay, yes, I think we probably should. <laughs> but, but perhaps you'd just like to give us a little bit of a recap on the focus for this week. Um, yeah. Because we've had a lot of supply between the DMO's efforts and the Bank of England's auctions, which have been every day, I believe. Yeah. Um, all been going. Yeah. It really felt like this week, I guess, was a bit of a, a preview for how it could feel pretty consistently next year, I think, with the Bank of England obviously having a lot of auctions. Like you say, we've had the Bank of England coming to the market every day this week uh, and then three auctions from the DMO as well. Um, so uh, a fairly heavy and constant supply schedule. But actually, the market has pretty much taken its in its stride and, and for all of our concerns around, you know, the Bank of England seemingly in quite a hurry to get these kind of financial stability long-end purchases out the door and actually concerns around the fact that, you know, perhaps they were selling bonds into a still illiquid market that hadn't maybe as 
been fixed as much as they might like to think since the September and October volatility. Actually, yeah, like I say, the market's really taken in its stride. The supply from both the Bank of England and the DMO this week has been really well digested. We've seen big numbers on on the QT front from the kind of reverse inquiry that demand led QT, uh, but also the linker auction yesterday, for example, was um, very well bid as well. Um, so I think there's two takeaways really for markets here. The first is that they're pretty far through their kind of financial stability QT. We still have another week of that. So although active sales, regular QT stops, there's still another week of financial stability QT. They've already done about 6 billion and they've only got about 19 billion to go. So I'm not suggesting that they can get through all of that this side of Christmas, but they've made a good dent in it. And particularly on the linker side, they've sold more linkers, about nearly 3 billion today as of, of recording. They'll have done a bit more probably by the time we listen to this. Um, but but they only bought about 7 billion linkers. So they're pretty much halfway through um, their linker supply back to the market uh, and a bit less far through the nominals. Um, my, my takeaway is that it probably means that they do add long-end uh, conventional gilts to their um, kind of regular QT auctions come Q1. I think that was always their intention anyway, and that was what they would have wanted to do. Um, but I just think strong demand now probably gives them a bit more comfort that that it's a market that they can also add, you know, additional longs to. Um, so that's kind of why I said it feels like this week could be a bit of a precursor for how most weeks are going to feel next year. Because if they're doing shorts and mediums QT, you know, every other week and long QT every other week, and then three financial stability QT auctions on the other days. Um, it's going to be pretty constant from the Bank of England. Um, but but my concern is just, you know, listeners will know that I'm bearish. So perhaps I'm thinking about this with a, a bit of a, a bearish tilt. But my concern is that, you know, there's a lot of the bonds being taken down now by um, LDI and, and other kind of market players. And that will mean that they won't have much demand heading into 2023 because they're almost kind of filling their boots now um, with these bonds. And actually, it's 2023 and beyond that we see the big issuance increase. Uh, and I worry that that means that we're actually going to see a step down in demand um next year but let's see <laughs> okay and just building up uh first of all thinking about next week there's also an awful lot of data do you just have a couple of words about what you're looking for there yeah you are correct it's not all about the us next week <laughs> the uk will get still a little bit of limelight it's the major data week so we get everything from you know inflation growth labor market data retail sales etc obviously uh, the main focus for us partly because i think it's the main focus for the bank of england will be on inflation and on um, uh, wages so uh, when it comes to wages we see another increase in the total pay measure um, you know that we think month on month that rises by 6.3 percent um, that's probably close to the peak but I guess importantly for our inflation profile and when we're thinking about this for the Bank of England we don't have that coming down particularly quickly next year um, despite our kind of weak growth profile on the inflation front we think that 
we're kind of close to, if not at the peak on um, CPI inflation. So we actually have it remaining steady at 11.1% um, this month. That's actually slightly higher than the market. The market's, I think, about 10 point, or consensus is 10.9. So slightly higher. But I guess the point here really is whether we peak this month or next month, but we have just peaked, that we think inflation is going to remain pretty sticky um, or headline inflation remains sticky for the next couple of months and start to come down quicker beyond Q1. But core CPI is going to remain sticky, we think, uh, into 2023. Um, and we don't have, you know, I think we've probably said it on the pod before, but we don't have inflation coming back down to the bank's target um, of 2% until 2025. So although the peak may well be in, uh, we're not talking about a kind of rapid decline in inflationary pressures, we don't think. Okay, and for the main business next week, um, a word on your base case for the Bank of England? Yeah, so I think the Bank of England in some ways is, is probably going to be a little bit less interesting than the Fed and the ECB, partly because, you know, for all you were saying, Giles, about the ECB wanting to set QT just running in the background, that's exactly the bank strategy as well. So I don't think we're going to get any updated information on QT at all. Um, that's, uh, you know, they've kind of disentangled QT decisions from their MPC um, meetings and they come separately. Um, it's not a, one of the quarterly forecast meetings. So we don't get any updated projections um, and we don't get a press conference. It will just be the minutes. So this meeting for us is, is really just going to be about the rate hike uh, and, and the vote that sits behind that to try and kind of determine, I guess, how much further there might be to go in rates. I say it's not going to be super exciting on the surface because I think we have an off consensus call for what we think that they're going to do. You know, our base case is still that they do 75 basis points rather than 50 basis points, which I think is probably where there's quite strong market consensus. Um, I think I went in probably into a bit too much detail last week about why we think 75 and not 50. So I won't repeat all of those and I'll just <laughs> point listeners to the direction of that pod if, if they're interested for last week. But I guess suffice to say that we think it's a pretty close call between 75 and 50 but at the moment think just think the kind of you know the fact that inflation's still overshooting that we still see kind of strong labor market data next week that should be sufficient to tip the balance but it is a close call you know when we're thinking about this from a vote perspective of, of where will the votes for 75 come from i think you can you know probably quite obviously put Matt in the 75 camp. Um, we're also assuming that Haskell and Ramsden vote for 75. And then in our kind of possible, maybe probable um, 75 basis point camp, we have Pill and Bailey. So that's five for 75. But then you might well get this long tail of voters that think 50 or even 25 or perhaps even no change you know at the very dovish end of expectations it could be Tamraro and or Dingra that think that you know rates might have have got as high as they need to um or you know just looking for one kind of 25 basis point hike but probably I guess the the important message here for and certainly when we compare this to market expectations is not really about whether they do 75 or 50 next week I think it's more just about you know, where we see peak rates and, and when we see that peak uh, arising, we still think that we, they only get to four and a quarter. So we have 75 next week uh, and then 50 in February. And that takes us to four and a quarter as our kind of peak rate. And then we think they're done for the rest of the year. So probably our biggest pushback against market pricing would be 
you know, how much of a higher and later peak the market sees. The, you know, the market's still thinking that the bank is hiking well into the summer, which, you know, given our kind of inflation profile and, and growth backdrop, um, we think that, that that pricing is probably a bit um, too high and, and late, I would say. Okay, let's stop that. <laughs> okay, we'll catch up next week after all these central banks, and then next week will be our um, last bondcast of the year. So I'm sure we'll make it very festive and fun after all the stress of the central bank that, that week. Uh, thank you all for joining me, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, just a reminder that if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. Bye.